Recently, I was reading Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, and I was reading Paul's litany of sufferings that he endured during his apostolic mission, and it was astonishing how this man suffered for the gospel. And in this case, he's recounting his sufferings as credentials for what a true apostolic mission looks like, as opposed to the uh, personal achievements and accomplishments, the credentials, the oratory skills, and the um, other personal gifts and talents of the false teachers, those who had slithered into uh, Corinth, excuse me, and were uh, calling Paul's uh, credentials into uh, question. Uh, Paul was uh, uh, following the uh, conformity to the cross by his sufferings uh, for Christ as an apostle. And these other men, however, uh, had had um, a different agenda. They, they were there to advance their own personal ministry. They were there to advance themselves. And they were calling Paul's, uh, not only his ministry, but his person into question, saying he was, his appearance was uh, detestable and his, his uh, speaking skills had found, amounted to nothing. And, and they were pushing themselves forward upon the Corinthians as being people, as being the true apostles, which, of course, they were not. Uh, so Paul in this litany, and I want to read that to you, Paul in this litany says this, Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Now, Paul uses a lot of sarcasm in Second Corinthians, and so he does here referring to himself as a fool. The Corinthians had thought they were so wise, and uh, uh, there's no doubt that these false teachers were inflating them and assuring them that they were wise to follow them and not Paul. So Paul's using a little bit of sarcasm there. I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. And in contrast now to the false teachers, Paul says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And then parenthetically, I'm out of my mind to talk like this, he says. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. This, These are the credentials, my friends, for a true servant of Christ in the first century. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Um, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. <clears throat> I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I read that last line, and it just leapt off the page to me. In danger from false believers. Let me finish the context, verse 27 through 29. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches, who is weak 
and I do not feel weak, who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn. The Suffering Apostle Suffering for the Gospel of Christ And the false apostles have come into Corinth and they're presenting an alternative gospel. They're, in fact, presenting, as we'll see here in a few moments, an alternative Christ, an alternative and operating under a different spirit than Paul. So Paul is, rather than advance his personal accomplishments or his personal credentials or his um, letters of commendation, he is advancing his personal weaknesses and his suffering. And he does that because he wants his readers to understand that his purpose is to see that the power of God is manifested in his ministry and so that their faith would be in the power of God and not in human wisdom. But back to verse 26 again, that last line, and in danger from false believers. <clears throat> Excuse me. In danger from false believers. Paul is saying here that false believers are as dangerous to him as anything he ever experienced out in the, um, the, the, the sea or from bandits or from the Jews or from the Gentiles. He uh, was as dangerous to him as being shipwrecked for three days. False believers, saying very clearly, exist and they are dangerous. That's Paul's point here. So the question before you and I then is, <clears throat> are false believers dangerous to you and I? And if they are, what do we do about it? How dangerous are they? And how do we identify them? So what I want to do today is just give you a little bit greater context for this statement that Paul is making here. Help you identify some of the characteristics of false believers, false brothers or false brethren, depending on the uh, translation that you have, of course. And hopefully help you sharpen your discernment so you too can recognize false believers as dangerous instead of someone that you should have um, tolerance for. We live in an age of tolerance. We live in a pluralistic society, religious pluralism, meaning that uh, all religions are equal in credibility. All religions are equally acceptable. We see bumper stickers that say coexist with all the different symbols of the world's religions on them. It's fashionable today to not use discernment. That's the bottom line. Uh, we've been shamed out of our Christian duty to discern the faults from the truth. And so we have to get back to that. Uh, we are living in perilous times. We are living where counterfeit Christianity is by far the prevalent and even dominant form of religion in the United States and Western society. And so we have to, if we're going to uh, be able to be effective for the, for the gospel and be able to thrive as people within this perilous times we're in, we're going to have to exercise discernment and be certain of the dangers that present us. 
and protect ourselves, our families, and our churches from these false believers. And as we'll discover in a few moments, these people are people that we must protect ourselves from. We must mark and avoid. So it's a worthy study. I'm not going to take a lot of your time, but I do want to um, pique your interest, I hope, in how you should use your discernment. So let's look at the greater context. This is a, a brief Bible study, and of course, in, as we always do in Bible studies, we take our text, and then we look at the immediate context for, for interpretation. <clears throat> Excuse me again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20, which would be the most immediate context, Paul is speaking of those false teachers. He says, in fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit, says Paul, that we were too weak for that. Emphatic. Now, the first thing we can note then, I encourage you to take a little pad of paper here and write these things down. In 2 Corinthians 11.20, Paul is making it clear that these false teachers, these false believers, the leading characteristic is that they are abusive. They are skilled at spiritual abuse. Their purpose is not to equip you for the work of the ministry. Their purpose is not to help you grow into the full stature of the person of Christ. Their purpose is to exploit you, enslave you, take advantage of you, and even dare to put on airs as they do it. <clears throat> Or slap you in the face. Now, this is either figurative or literal. We don't know. But there's there's ways to slap people in the face verbally and uh, emotionally that can be even more devastating than the f actual physical act. So the first thing we notice here is that these fellow false believers, these false believers, whether they're leaders or the leaders or the people who follow these leaders, are abusive. Now let's look at the greater context up in beginning with verse 12 in chapter 11. He says, I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from underneath those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising, then, if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. So the first thing we notice here is that they are abusive. The second thing our context is telling us is that these false believers um, are think of themselves as apostles. They want to be considered equal with the twelve. They want to be named as equal or even greater, in some cases, than the apostles. They certainly thought that they were greater and better than Paul. 
So these are false apostles, they're deceitful workers, and they're masquerading as apostles of Christ. Now, this is a very contemporary issue for us right now. There's a movement, a charismatic movement, that's becoming global, that is called the New Apostolic Reformation, where people really believe and advance themselves as being modern apostles and modern prophets. They even go so far as to say that they are the new apostles. They are the progressive revelation of the apostles, that, that the Bible is written as the old word, and their prophets and their apostles have the new word from the Spirit. And so they're really taking a position where they are greater than the twelve. They are new apostles. They are new prophets to the church. And these people are serious. They, are, uh, they really believe this about themselves, or at least their followers do. And this is a global movement that's growing, and it's, it's as false as they can get. It's heretical, and it's popular. The numbers of followers they're getting is growing. Uh, Bill Johnson with Bethel Church down in Redding, California, is one of the uh, um, leaders of this movement. Uh, there's no formal movement, there's no formal headquarters, but it is part of the charismania that's going on in the world today. Uh, one of the local Pentecostal churches in my neighborhood uh, just uh, hosted a weekend conference where Bill Johnson and Heidi Baker were among the uh, speakers. And so this is a growing thing. This is something where these people are advancing themselves as being of greater authority in their subjective experiences and their prophecies and their apostolic credentials than those of the apostles uh, in our New Testament. So here we go. Nothing new, right? <clears throat> Nothing new under the sun. False apostles, deceitful workers masquerading as apostles of Christ. These people in the new apostolic reformation today are false believers, both their leaders and their followers, and they are super dangerous. Their prophecies are false. Their prophecies and their apostolic authority that they claim is false. They abuse, they neglect, excuse me, exploit, they take advantage of. There, there's, uh, there's huge amounts of money involved. Steer, steer clear, beloved, from these kind of things. And then he goes on to tell us what the, so false apostles, that's the second thing I'm going to write down. They're abusive, they're false apostles, false prophets. And then Paul tells us where they get their spiritual energy. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light, he says in verse 14. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. So these people are abusive. These false uh, believers are abusive. They're uh, false authority, false apostles and prophets. They have no authority. Um, they do not see the scripture as the final authority. They see themselves as the final authority. And they're energized by Satan himself. They are servants, Paul says, of Satan. His 
servants. They masquerade as servants of righteousness, but inwardly they are ravaging wolves. And their end is not something you want to be a part of. Steer clear, mark and avoid, get away from them. False believers are dangerous. They are lethal to you spiritually, emotionally, mentally, uh, relationally, and to your finances. How they, they want your money, uh, and, and it's a big deal for them. Steer clear of them. Okay, and then Paul speaks to this again uh, in the early parts of chapter 11. And again, keeping this argument with him being um, uh, a fool, he says, I hope you'll put up with me with a little foolishness. He's being sarcastic again because they're so wise, you know, they think they're wise. Yes, please put up with me, he says. I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may be somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So what's the danger here? The danger is that your mind, meaning how you view Christ, how you think of Jesus, how you think of the gospel, how you think of the work of the Spirit in your life, will be skewed, it will be distorted, it will be twisted if you give in to these false teachers and their followers. Very important. This is a serious danger to you. <clears throat> For someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. You put up with it easily enough. So there's two dangers now. The great danger is the presence of these abusive, false apostles who are energized by Satan himself, who are growing in their popularity. But the second danger is that you'll put up with it. Now that's the second time he has said that. Remember in our first text, in verse 20, he says, in fact, you even put up with it. If anyone enslaves you, exploits you, or takes advantage of you. Think of that. Beloved, there are millions of professing Christians around the United States today who are following these false teachers who exploit them, enslave them, and take advantage of them, abuse them, and people keep following them. We remember all too well here in Seattle the Mark Driscoll fiasco of that one of the most abusive, um, one of the most greatest false teachers ever to arise in the Seattle area or in the Northwest. And now he's down in Phoenix and he's doing his thing there. Mark and avoid, folks. This is serious stuff. I don't typically name names, but that's one you've got to stay away from. And these people are subtle. They're cunning. They come across even ingratiating. They come across as harmless, charming. But they're not. They're deceivers. 
They're preaching another Jesus. They're preaching a, another gospel, and they're operating under a different spirit than the Holy Spirit. They're operating in the, uh, under Satan's spirit. They're offering under demonic powers. They're operating under demonic powers, and we must not put up with it. So be careful of what you tolerate. Be careful that you put up with it. Twice he says this. You're putting up with these people. Why are you doing that? And he's concerned about them. That was his chief concern. Okay, so let's see what we can find also here in the rest of the book of Corinthians, real briefly. In chapter 6, he calls them unbelievers. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, I recognize that a lot of moralists and a lot of preachers will use this text to preach against uh, uh, believers marrying unbelievers. And while it's never a good idea for an unbeliever to marry an unbeliever, uh, a believer to marry an unbeliever, it's certainly not well advised. Uh, there are going to be problems, and we shouldn't do it. I have personally refused to marry people who are not both Christians. Uh, and so I get it. I understand what, what they're saying, but that is not Paul's point here. Paul's point here is that these Jewish itinerant preachers who have slithered their way into uh, Corinth and have set themselves up as the authentic apostles and are criticizing and calling Paul's ministry into question are false apostles. They are operating under a different spirit. And Paul is now saying that they are equal to unbelievers. They're not Christians in error. They're heretics who are not even true believers. They're false believers. And he calls them that. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. So what does he mean? He's saying to us that we should not form spiritual alliances for the sake of supposed unity or ecumenicalism or because so we can call ourselves so, so um, tolerant. We remember so much of this in the um, uh, Catholics and Evangelicals uh, United back in the 90s, I think it was. There's always this attempt to take those who don't preach the gospel and unite them with those who do in some kind of a, an attempt to create some kind of um, happy unity. But we are not called to that kind of unity, folks. We're called to the unity of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4 is very clear that the unity we seek is a unity that's fostered and empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will never lead us into following some kind of false uh, uh, leader, some kind of false gospel. Okay, so he says, for what, what do righteousness and wickedness have to do? This is the other point. <clears throat> they will only lead you into wickedness. You can't find righteousness among them. You can't find holiness among them. You can't find godliness amongst them. They have a form of religion that is powerless to transform your lives. <clears throat> they have, uh, what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? 
What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? So he's being very clear here. There's a stark contrast. And just because something calls itself Christian or someone or some leader calls himself a Christian doesn't mean that he is. For we are the temple of the living God, he says. We, the collective people of God, we, are in, we who are in Christ by grace through faith in the finished work and, and the sufficiency of Christ alone, we are the temple of God uh, individually and collectively. We're not, we don't uh, attend temples anymore. We don't have basilicas and cathedrals. Those are simply an attempt to reinstate the old temple ministry. You know, the, God dwells within you. He dwells within you individually and collectively wherever you gather. And so what the prescription is here in verse 17 is to come out from them. And that is what my prescription would be to you today too. To recognize these false believers for what they are. Recognize that they are toxic to you. They are dangerous to your fellowship. That you must be prepared to stay away from them. You must come out from among them if you are in them now. There's nothing that God honors God by staying in and amongst false fellowships. You just don't do it. I've been around the block now for 45 years. I've seen a lot of counterfeit Christianity. It used to bewilder me. It used to shock me. It used to discourage me. Um, there was even a time in my life that it, it threatened the um, uh, quality of my faith. And, and I've had to work through it theologically. I've had to work through it through my own ability to study the Bible well and understand that it's not the Word of God that's in question. It's these false apostles that call things into question. Their behavior, the way they treat others, the wickedness by which they their secret lives of shame are sometimes exposed and, and scandals, all that goes on. Come out from among them. And then there's this promise. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughter, says the Lord Almighty. So, the remedy for false believers is to be discerning, to be honest in your discernment, to mark and then avoid. And if you're in a congregation that is dominated by in, in the in the leadership are clearly false and the followers are clearly false, come out of them. You are under no obligation before God to continue in such a toxic fellowship. Come out from among them. In fact, quite on the contrary, here you are commanded to come out. And the promise is, if you come out of that which is familiar, if you leave a a denomination or a heritage or even an individual church of, part of which you've been a part for generations, it may be very difficult for you. It may be very hard on you to do that. But you have this promise. God says here in verse 18, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. Therefore, he begins chapter 7 saying, Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So these people are abusive. They're false apostles. They're energized by Satan himself. 
and we are to come out from amongst them. That's a recognition. And we do that because we recognize, as Paul recognized, that these people are dangerous. We have to overcome this cultural shame that tells us that we should not be judgmental, that we should not be divisive, that we should accept people who are different from us in theology. Well, that may be true to an extent. There's a difference between being a heretic and being in error. And there are brothers and sisters who are in error. There are brothers and sisters, genuine brothers and sisters in Christ, who fall, who get caught in sin. And the Bible's clear that we are to restore such a one with the gentleness that the Spirit provides, considering ourselves, lest we too be tempted. So this isn't a call to go one-up on people. This isn't a call to... Um, circle the wagons and somehow turn into a little self-centered uh, sect. This is a call to simply exercise healthy biblical discernment and not allow ourselves to be uh, placed in danger, allow our families and our whole churches to be in danger of false believers. I've, I've confronted these things before. I've, I've run into them, and I've been way long, too patient, too long-suffering in many cases. And the longer you put up with it, the more toxic it becomes. So finally, just two more. And 2 Corinthians chapter um, 4, Paul also identifies these men, these false believers, as those who use secret and shameful ways, secret and shameful lives, private lives. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. They use deception, they distort the word of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, he also says something very similar. He says, unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, says Paul. In Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. So they distort the word of God. They peddle the word of God for profit. They are uh, have a secret lives of shame. They are wicked in their behavior. They are agents of darkness. They are energized by Satan himself. They are idols, not temples of God. They are uh, abusive. They are false apostles who diminish the authority of Scripture itself by claiming that they have some kind of new insight, some kind of new anointing that gives you the new word of God over and above the old word of God, meaning the Bible itself. It's a mess. It's a problem. And it is dangerous. We do live in perilous times, do we not? Well, we can talk more about this, but we need not. I think you get the point that we uh, are in danger of false believers. And we have to get over this nonsense that we are not to be discerning, lest we be called judgmental or divisive. I had an elder one time who warned me. I warned him against some false teaching, some clear false teaching that he was 
promoting, and he warned me not to be divisive. And uh, to my shame, I backed off, and I wouldn't do that today. So we've all had times when we've put up with things uh, far beyond what the biblical uh, text warrants that we should. In Galatians 2.4, Paul mentions again the false believers. If these things come up because of false brethren, he said, who made their way into the church. Jude chapter, excuse me, Jude verse 3 and 4, Jude talks about how that he wanted to, like I do often, I want to speak more about the, uh, the joys of our common faith, but that there were certain men who had crept into the church, Jude said, Jude said, that we had to overcome, we had to contend for the gospel that was once delivered to God's holy people. Uh, they are ungodly people, he said, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you, false believers, and they're dangerous, he says. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. It is disheartening to see the scandals coming out of many of the megachurches in, in the United States. It is disheartening to see the exploitation, uh, the financial exploitation, the oppression, the spiritual abuse that is so rampant within so much of evangelicalism today. But it's to be expected. These are perilous times. Paul warned us about it. There will be a day when the last day's church will be have a form of godliness, he said, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, and deny the power thereof, meaning the power of the Spirit, the power to change lives, to transform us, and to impart holiness in our character. Revelation 2.9, I'll leave you with this last text. Revelation 2.9, Jesus himself, the risen Christ, refers to those in the church in Smyrna. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich, I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. End quote. Our risen Lord was warning the church in Smyrna of the same people that were opposing Paul, that opposed Peter and John and all the apostles, that were a threat to the early church even during the apostolic era. How much less or more are they a threat today to you? That's the point. They're still here, false believers, false teachers. We must be discerning, and we must recognize them as dangers. Well, leave it at that. May the Lord strengthen you in your discernment. May you have great clarity as you study and meditate on these things. And may you free yourself and your family and your friends and even your churches from this very present and real danger of false believers. Amen.